Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I am joined by Chris Sherrod, Chris Legg, and Brent Starnes. This is Reconstructed Faith. Welcome back to the Reconstructed Faith podcast. My name is Colson Lechner, and alongside me are my partners in crime, Bryn Starnes and uh, Chris Legg. And here's the thing. Uh, I never really thought about this, but we have another co-host, uh, Bryn's son. Oh, oh yes. wow. <laughs> That's uh, a great point. Yeah. How you said Co- you had Co-hosted by the unnamed son of Bryn. That's right. To be named. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think somebody was calling him Methuselah or something like that. Oh, there oh, have been radio. every Sunday that Chris mentions any genealogy from the Old Testament, people are like <laughs> texting me ideas. <laughs> of course. And so now people, well, I think the most common one is, uh, I don't even know how to say it because I forgot it was in the Bible, Zoof or... Oh, oh yeah, Z-U-P-H. Zoof Starnes is the front runner right now. That's a winner. That's a winner. Nice. Well, anyway, anyway, that we're we don't we're Chris Sheridless today. He's actually traveling traveling to Tyler, where we are located. That's twice now that we've lost him to the podcast because he was coming to Tyler. Exactly. That's ironic. Just feels wrong somehow. So silly. But we're chugging along. We're moving along. Um, we've just kind of concluded our overview, quote unquote, um, of our unpacking. Yep. Bible and sexuality. Exactly. And now we're moving into kind of specifics that fall under that heading of, okay, sexual immorality or just topics that kind of go underneath that. Yeah. That seems smart. So the, the first one that we wanted to talk about was adultery. Yeah. And so kind of jumping in, talking about what adultery is, most everybody knows, but for the sake of our podcast, kind of defining what that is, and then just jumping into the topic and discussing it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the most classic sense, of course, adultery just means someone who is married, having sex, engaging sexually with someone that they aren't married to. Um, when When I was a kid, um, there was like a, uh, I don't know if this was real or if it was a cartoon or it was making fun of, of soap operas, but there was a, uh, they were making fun of the fact to a man and a woman together. And one of them saying like, you know, Barbara, we shouldn't be doing this because we're not married. And Barbara's saying, yes, we are. Oh wait, did you mean to each other? And oh so my. it was kind of the, that's kind of the, the, the comedy of uh, like, okay. okay, that's adultery. Like there, yeah. yeah. um, you need to be married to each other. Just being married <laughs> to somebody else doesn't save you from it. Um, yes. But does it would it it fall under if you are not married sleeping with someone who is married that also would so again <clears throat> how technical do you want to get in the Hebrew mind uh, or in the Hebrew language the word that that is used for adultery which I was uh, actually looking up in just a second ago um, Exodus I'm gonna look see if I can find it real quickly in Exodus twenty twenty fourteen because I've got to find a transliteration of it um, is it fourteen I think so. Just the, you shall not commit adultery. There it is, uh, 14. And, okay, it is the NAF, N-A-A-P-H, when you transliterate it in, over into English. But but apparently the word really can mean a lot of different things. It, it It's a it's not quite sexual immorality. Uh-huh. Like, it's not a generalized term that means anything. But it is sometimes understood to mean fornication, infidelity, even prostitution. Uh-huh. But I think there's a linkage to marriage there that adultery applies. And we certainly in the English 
when we say adultery, we, we, we typically are going to mean at least one of the people involved in engaging sexually is married and not to the person they're engaging sexually with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if you could, it might be an interesting to try to dig it up in American law. Can you commit adultery if you're not married? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, but the person, if you're engaging sexually with someone who is married, they, they certainly are. They definitely are. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you're so still in sin there. with someone who you are aiding them to become an adulterer. There you go. <laughs> so. It's yeah. certainly, all of that would certainly <laughs> fall under the broad topic of sexual immorality. That might, yeah. so, so in the, in the, um, in the American church, in English, we usually word fornication huh. to essentially mean any form of engage, of sexual immorality. And so that's why the, um, I did not say it this way in the sermon, but that the, the article that. Dr. Bob had given me to look at uh, one of the former pastors in our church. About concerning Hophni and Phineas, is that what you're talking no, about? No, about, uh, about not falling in ministry as a pastor. Oh, yes. <clears throat> and the first one was don't quit, and the second was don't fornicate. Like that was the two pieces of advice, pieces of advice which is sadly a low standard, and yet <laughs> too many people don't hit Eat it, that, yeah, don't yeah, make don't it. Um, but here, when we're talking about adultery, I think what we ought to focus in on is why the Bible might forbid and, and does it clearly forbid adultery, meaning that what's called what's being called for is fidelity within the marriage covenant. And so I think if we if we limit our conversation to that mm-hmm. for today, uh-huh. I think it'll be value still be very valuable to people. And that that conversation may break off into the conversation about divorce as well. Yeah. Um well and anyway. I can imagine, you know, you're just saying ministers um, dealing, not not being able to you know measure up to that standard, and you look at our country and you look at statistics and stuff about how um, how marriages fail. I'm I'm just wondering too, from somebody who's deconstructing or somebody who's listening to the podcast, I wonder if you know maybe a cause for deconstruction could be a failed marriage relationship, be that mm-hmm. their parents or somebody in ministry that they looked up to. Yeah. And so I think it could just be good <clears throat> to provide context and a little bit more understanding of what the Bible says about this. Yeah. Um, and, and so I'm just saying like setting the stage for that. I have yeah, no I idea who's listening, idea. Right. but if that is something just yeah. kind of... I mean, I personally re- relate to that because I had a youth minister growing up that committed adultery, excuse me, um, with his wife. And then you mean against, against his wife, against his wife. Yeah. 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 And then came before the church and confessed like with her there. And then a few months or maybe a year later left her for the woman and showed up at church with the other woman. There you go. It was, uh, anyway. So adulterer and classy, also a classy classy. person. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, and I just remember talking with other people that had been teenagers at the time, just talking about that's the person that is in your life supposed to be leading you spiritually and setting an example and is preaching truth to you and then is living in a a different way. And it's, it does shake you up. Yeah. It's, it's such a common, I mean, Ginger's student minister did the same thing when he, when she was a a student. Um, I don't know if we've talked about this in here, but my the man who he was Ginger's god parent, godfather, I guess, um, and he he actually did our premarital counseling. He was the 
a counseling and preaching pastor at Dallas Theological Seminary. Oh my gosh. And all of that, he was having an affair with a, a student for a decade he, during all of that. <clears throat> and it's, it's amazing how we can see the, the effect of sin to convince us to, we, we begin to justify our own behaviors and that kind of stuff. And his was pretty wild that he later was confused, allegedly was confused why we didn't have him come speak at the camp where we worked at the time in family camp. After all this came out, after he'd lost his position at the seminary, after he'd lost his position at the church, after his book deal had been canceled, he still didn't understand why we wouldn't let him come preach, come speak at the Christian camp. Because as he said, like, I was going to say the same thing, whether you knew about it or not. So why wouldn't you? So the level of uh, self-deception that that can create when we step into that. But Mm -hmm. according to American statistics, a couple of sites I'm looking at, and this, uh, this is, I was curious what newest numbers are, but it, it is a somewhere in the area of 15 to 20% of marriages um, involve <coughs> infidel, have had infidelity. Um, back in 2018, um, the American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy estimated 15% of married women and 25% of married men have had affairs. Well, um, if and- you add in, Emotional affairs and sexual relationships without intercourse, it jumps by about another 20% for I both was curi- populations. I was curious if that was if, what they're, what they were defining infidelity as. Yeah, so they, that, they yeah. literally mean actual sex. Okay. Um, again, that jumps up to 35% of married women and 45% of married men when you include emotional and emotional affairs or emotional, yeah, emotional affairs or sexual relationships without intercourse in marriage. So... You know, you're hovering in on between a third and half of marriages wow. involved that. And that <clears throat> we've seen that Christian marriages are also pretty high statistically. Uh-huh. Like they match that statistic often. Is so that right? What's interesting is depends on how you ask the question. If you ask the question, are you a Christian or even are you born again? Mm-hmm. And the people who answer yes to those questions only their their rates of infidelity are pretty much identical to the rest of the population. However, if what you do is you analyze someone's life and you say, okay, I'm looking for how often are they in church? How often do they read the Bible? How often are they involved like in Sunday school of about that life? claim? And the people who, I think it's Barna who used it this way, who live like Christians, their rate is way lower. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now, it's only like half so that's that's much much lower but it's not like it's zero you know there are certain christian uh authors who i'm not a fan of uh-huh <laughs> One of them, and one of my complaints about one of them in particular is that he just throws out things without any, like, I think he just does it based on his counseling experience. Yeah. And one of them has cited, one of them who I talk about regularly says, at least 60% of married couples will experience infidelity at some point in their marriage. Again, there's no citation. He just... Well, and he says, will experience, meaning like it happens to them. Yeah. Instead of like... Well, you know what I'm saying? It yeah, seems like a passive way of describing it. It's it's really strange. But on top of that, I mean, I just read the statistics that said yeah. it's 
nowhere near that. Um, so that's just funny to me that it was like the fifth heading under do Christians have affairs, but, <clears throat> um, wow. It's, it's just, yeah, who, who knows what the actual number is. Um, so it's, it's hard to know, but I know it goes, um, I know it goes down depending on people who have this, have the Chris quote Christian lifestyle. Okay. Yeah. Uh, or at least it goes reported less. I, I don't know how to exactly verbalize all that, uh. but, <clears throat> but it is, it is straight up. I mean, this is, this is definitely one of those things that's forbidden because God seems to have largely created marriage for a safe place for sexuality and sex as a way to bond people in marriage. And so it makes sense that he would then command. He's got the rule, his top 10 mm. rules. And, you know, number what, six is not, com- is it six or seven? Oh, I don't know what number it is. Let's see. Uh, 10. I got to sing this song. Nine, <laughs> eight, seven. Oh, it's seven. been a long time. It's number seven. 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 Um, so, yeah, I mean, if, when that's obviously very important to him yeah. that marriage is sacred, that it's protected. And you can imagine why. I mean, if we're all three married people. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are the effects of knowing that the person who, the one person who you should be able to depend on, that you can't depend on them, yeah. even for yeah. this one thing? <coughs> anyway. Yeah. And I think it also goes back to, I mean, I've just heard you, Chris, talk about it, a lot of what, what marriage was designed for and mm-hmm. to represent. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not only just, this is a place where you can have sex. This is a place where you're meant to model the gospel. Right. And so then from a Christ- Christian perspective, mm-hmm. the, which is what we're, you know, we're coming at it with, from the biblical perspective of why is this, this, why is this forbidden mm-hmm. on, right. a, on multiple levels? And even it's the ways that, like, even the ways that you've described um, the biblical model and the restrictions that he's put in place reflect Christ in the church of, right. like, one yeah. being that you're loved unconditionally. And right. so you're, the safety within marriage is, like, yes, you're giving your whole self, but also there's a safety of knowing that... I am loved and uncon- I'm seen fully and loved unconditionally. Right. And that's like such a powerful picture of the gospel. Um, and that's why I feel like just another reason that adultery is so damaging because it even, it even, I can imagine it affects that picture of the gospel for of you. Of course. So. And, and for your children yeah. <clears throat> and your neighbors, like you yeah. th- think of the effect that it had on you, that your student minister was unfaithful that that begins to create a testimony uh, right. a, a witness essentially on the stand one direction or the other is or do the things and and a lot of people i think who deconstruct i don't know if i've said this on this podcast surely i have is i think a lot of times people deconstruct because their parents marriage stinks mm-hmm. yeah you have yeah and that's not <clears throat> and you know people complain about oh they go off to school or whatever and and they get caught up and that can happen they get caught up in worldly philosophies or partying or whatever. But I, I don't, I, I think, I think very few things armor somebody against bad teaching and bad, bad thinking about some of these things or yeah. much less a cynical attitude about it than like having healthy parents who have a healthy marriage. Yeah. Cause it's like, if the gospel can't <clears throat> change that, right. Then what, what power does it actually have? Yeah. Um, 
or if the gospel will can't change you any differently than the world, like, you know, right. If it can't impact you on that, that level or even a priority of, yeah, apparently you held to all these truths. And then this was so important to you that it, it trumped them all in a moment for some, That's you know, right. like, yeah. And, and how, what a huge, yeah, what a huge powerful statement of hypocrisy to tell to children, here's the rules, follow God, here's the Ten Commandments, memorize these, all the different things that the Christian parents often do, and then at some point along the way to just kind of, you know, flush all that down the toilet with one big, like, hey, by the way, I've ignored everything I've ever taught you. I've just ignored it. I've just yeah. spit in all of it. Yeah. Especially when you're teaching your kids about sex and, you know, yep. if you're trying to teach them whatever aspect of it, but even abstinence of like, oh yeah, and then you don't even have, anyway, yeah, the self-control, yeah. but. And it's, it's interesting, um, working at Pine Cove, we had an internship program and our first year doing it, we had like several people whose, like their parents had mm-hmm. gotten a divorce later on, like when they had like moved to college or something. Yeah. And it was, it was interesting to know them over a few, over the period of a few years and see some of them get into long-term relationships. Right. And how that then affects not only how they understand the love of God, right. but also the love of a spouse and mm-hmm. fidelity moving forward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So th- this has a lot of layers, not only for, you know, your reconstruction or deconstruction or how you formulate what you believe about your faith, right? but also how you, how you interact with people and how you are a part of church and how you're Mm -hmm. a part of, you know, community. Yep. Yeah. And I think another important reason to cover it is as a protection, because I think you can also get into the denial of if you're a certain level of Christian or if you're a certain level in your faith, then there are certain sins that you just won't struggle with or they're they're off limits. Just that it's like, well, that would never be, I, I'm a, in ministry or I, which is kind of, I mean, right now, now we realize. Yeah, exactly. But feels almost the opposite sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, But it, it becomes one of those things that sometimes we don't want to talk about because it's like, oh, well, I would never. Right. And I think just acknowledging no, like the Lord talks about it and it's, he talks about it a lot and it's important to remind ourselves of why, because we're all, as we've all said multiple times on multiple issues, we're capable of any sin right. apart from Jesus. Right. And that's another reason why it's important to, to cover because we could, I mean, God forbid, but we could be contributing to someone else's deconstruction. Oh yeah. In, in, um, if we don't you know, let's surrender this to the Lord. So, And we see that again, left and right. So, <clears throat> yeah, so we, we're careful to draw the kind of healthy boundaries that keep you from inching toward that, that, uh-huh. that very few people wake up one day and just think, hey, I think I'm going to have an affair. I'm going to commit adultery. And what they do is they, they excuse little steps and little steps and little steps. And and <clears throat> we can see that in our own lives if we're not careful that that you get to, Step 70. I actually had a client tell me one time the decision to actually engage sexually with the woman who ended up being his mistress was the smallest of a hundred steps. Mm. Like the, the earlier ones were the big steps. I got an email from an ex-girlfriend from high school. I didn't tell my wife. 
Um, my so-and-so, they made, they became friends on social media and I didn't tell anybody and I didn't communicate that. And then, Hey, they were going to happen to be in the same town when I, where I was at this certain time. And we just thought we'd catch up and yeah, that was a big, I probably should have told, and I knew I should tell somebody I knew, but you know, I thought there's nothing, you know, we're just, we're just old friends and we're anyway, he said that the smallest of all the decisions was the final one. Um, but but how dangerous to get yourself in a position to make that final one. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I, th- I think when it comes to, is the Bible um, immoral by today's standards when it comes to adultery? I, I struggle with that because I don't know what today's standards on adultery are. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think we're all offended when we hear about it. And, and does it count as adultery when you're an open marriage when you say, oh, well, you know what? We're not going to have these these old-fashioned standards. But I'm telling you, that that undermines the the value of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it so deeply undermines the value of marriage when you know that the person you're committed to or or that you're not committed this to because the power of, a, of attachment and, and all that. We'll talk about that, more about that in a minute. Well... I think if you look in media, though, it's there are mixed messages being sent because there are a lot of things covered in media where it is display. It's presented as disgusting that like, how dare this person like there is a disgust of like when people cheat on their spouse. But then there's plenty of other examples where it's like, well, but this is a sympathetic situation where you can understand like, but look at the guy. I mean, look Mm -hmm. at who she's cheating on and you would, I mean, you would do the same in that situation. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. this is when it comes to happiness and fulfillment conversation again. There you go. Oh, yeah. right. oh, but this is, she deserves this. Like, you know, there, and right. I feel like we see both in when it comes to culture and media, mm-hmm. of, there still is a, a taboo of some kind where people understand you shouldn't cheat on your spouse, but then there's enough situations where it's presented sympathetically as a, um, that it, it is a mixed message. Certainly but. an option. Yeah. It feels it feels like this. It, it feels to me in media, like uh, in today's media, where it's almost like this is this is bad, but of course everyone's going to do it. Yeah, that's true. Oh, okay. That there's a yeah. sense of like, especially, and this is there's a version of you know a low low requirements that's very offensive to me, especially for men, when that attitude is very much so like, well, you know, he is a guy, so yeah. it's going to happen, and. And I just, I, as as a male, I find that offensive as if right. I'm just an animal in heat and I don't have any say in that. But, but I guess, why would I, outside of biblical mandate, it seems like <clears throat> if my only goal, like what would be the motivation to not have an affair outside of the duties and responsibilities that God gives me other than, I mean, I wouldn't want to hurt my wife or hurt my kids, yeah. but in which yeah. case... Hiding it would be would equally accomplish that. Maybe just like, like a, if they didn't know. Yeah, like a pride of strength of character. Like I think about. Uh, yeah. Okay. Like Tombstone, where he he's like resisting having an affair, you know, an affair, right. and he's like, "Man, you're." He says something about his strength. You are an oak. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't last. Well, yeah, I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Spoiler, because he doesn't have a good enough reason not yeah. to. Yeah. <laughs> But okay, uh, that's a good one. That's a good example of a sympathetic one. If you've not seen the movie or heard the story of Wider, that his wife was a drug addict. Yeah, and it's like, well, I mean, that's, what else? What's yeah. he going to do? She's a drug addict, so you know he's got to go find meaning and purpose someplace else. And the relationship that they portray, at least in the movie, for her, the other woman, is like 
an actual friendship and things that he doesn't have in his right. marriage. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it isn't, no one's, no one's under the illusion. None of the three of us certainly are under the illusion that marriage is easy mm-hmm. and that, and that wanting to start over with someone new would not be tempting at times or the grass might be greener or, or all those different things are, are the case. I often teach about in, in counseling, like, you know, I have five kids. And so, you know, my wife doesn't act like this, this free 20 year old girl who's that I met, you know, 30 years ago, she's, she seems tired a lot and she doesn't have a lot of energy for me. And she's like, and I don't know, I don't know what's wrong with her. I mean, it, it might be all those kids I gave her, but the, um, uh, but, but you know what, what, but what if there is a woman in my life who has tons of time and energy for me, you know, she's got lots of attention for me and she wants my attention. And she, I mean, you start, that's not really a fair competition, right? right. Um, you know, right. this, this person who's taking care of my life. But of course, if I don't have some good moral reason to hold fast to what God says and that I trust that he knows what he's talking about. It could sure easily seem like, man, happiness and fulfillment would be found over there. Yeah. That sounds more fun or more interesting or or more whatever. That easily could happen to somebody, if especially if you don't have an investment in intimacy as the uh-huh. main purpose of marriage. And I think most Christian marriages don't even know that intimacy is the main purpose. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I was going to talk about it a second ago. So even from the worldly perspective, once again, we're stuck in a situation where I think in a general sense, God's way works better. Um, that shouldn't be a huge surprise yeah. to Christians, but I think it is a huge surprise sometimes to people is that you do, there are, there is a relationship that you can develop in a lifelong faithful marriage that nothing else can compete with. Um, it's a, uh, I think I may have mentioned this study, but there was a study done where, um, uh, they were putting putting people in MRI machine and going to say, they put people in MRI machine and said, Hey, there's going to be mild electric shocks. I mean, this MRI machine, we're doing this psych evaluation of your brain. There's going to be mild electric shocks. And, and of course, anyone who does that, your anxiety spikes. Uh-huh. MRI machines freak out most people anyway. But yeah. uh, um, And so your anxiety spikes. And they ran a test where they said, okay, so here's a total stranger, just a nurse in the room. Hey, this nurse is going to hold your hand through the process. And how much does that lower someone's anxiety levels? Well, it actually does by a percentage, not a huge percentage, but a percentage. But what they discovered was people who were in satisfactory or happily married marriages, married intimate marriages, that their anxiety level dropped nearly to zero if they brought the spouse in the room and the spouse held their hand. Wow. Mm-hmm. And it's because, well, as I told somebody the other day, it's because I know, I know my wife, and if you hurt me, she'll kill you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, and, and not probably not feel all that bad about it. Like, take, get him out now. Get him out of the machine now. But we yeah. can't, like, I said now. I start breaking things at the count of one. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's a, and she knows I would do the same, right? Yeah. That I know there's one person who I can count on to have my best interest at heart. And and all of a sudden I don't have to know what's going on. She knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's people out here who would hear that and say, well, gosh, my relationship with my spouse is nothing like that. Well, it, it can be. Yeah. Um, barring mental illness, maybe it can, it can be some version or most marriages can be that, um, but it requires investment and effort and work and safety and all those things. But not surprisingly, again, that's really what most of us are looking for when it comes to marriage is someone who we know has our back was someone who we knows who we know will choose us. But imagine if in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, man, I hope my wife's not flirting with the medical professional in the room. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Like all of a sudden, all of that can be taken. All of the power of that can be taken. And it's why when people face infidelity, they need counseling if they're going to try to make it work and figure it out and work through it. But the value of my wife knowing, no, I'm sure there are other offers out there, but he chooses me. Mm -hmm. And I would say the same. I mean, I'm sure there are other offers out there, but she chooses me. (coughs) That's, That's a powerful thing. Mm -hmm. And it's something God protects over and over again with his law. That adultery is something that he strictly forbids over. I mean, and so we started with the 10 commandments, but nearly every place that we, like we said last week, that there's a list of quote sins, a list of sins in scripture, adultery falls into that Mm -hmm. list. It's that big a deal. And he knows that. And he knows we need someone like that. Um, So how cool that he creates the conditions for that, something that we need. Anyway, what else do we need to say about adultery? Should we cover a few more like verses? That sure, sure. Talk Jump about into it? them. Yeah. Exodus. So Exodus 2014, maybe yep. the first time it's really mentioned. I mean, the design of marriage is obviously mentioned way before. Right. But... Mm-hmm. Forsaking all others mm-hmm. is the language used in Genesis. And then are there any others in the Old Testament that stand out? I know there's several in the new. Well, we talked about, I mean, if we want to comment on uh, uh, the the nature of marriage as a living parable, kind mm-hmm. of of God's love for his people. Um, so you have like Hosea and Gomer, the prophet Hosea, mm-hmm. who though she is unfaithful, he continues to pursue her. And that's a beautiful picture of how we are unfaithful and God continues to pursue us even when we're unfaithful. Mm-hmm. I even, even as I said that, I thought, what a cool thing if someone can see this podcast that way. It's like this podcast is a version of God pursuing them, that even though they're deconstructing and they're trying to walk away, yeah. that the fact that this is, he is here for people, that may be, I may have too high an opinion of us, but <laughs> I really I mean, love the thought that, of that. That's, I would hope that that would be a lot of things that we do, you yeah. know, in yeah. our whole life. For so, sure. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um. Okay. And then even the handling of David's adultery, it yeah. it's not like a commandment, but it, it's how the Lord is, how seriously the Lord is taking it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's even someone that loves the Lord and is loved by God, and yet God takes his failure of adultery really very seriously. Extremely right. I mean, yeah. in Leviticus 20, mm-hmm. 20 verse 10, if a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor... Both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Yeah. Oh right, so we talked about that, that is, at some point. Yeah. Yep. That is pretty serious. Pretty serious. When you when you, capital punishment is the result of the crime, because again, when you think about the things God is protecting in the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> I did this. I don't know if we talked about this. I did this with a group of men, uh, a bunch bunch of maintenance men, very practical, hands on uh, kind of guys, and we studied the Ten Commandments. And when I threw out the Okay, as we go through each commandment, I want you to imagine our world if everyone obeyed this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would it make our world better or worse and in what ways? And, of course, the main negative on all of them was the unemployment issues. Yeah. Because you'd have all kinds of, I mean, private investigators, most attorneys, like, would all wow. be out of business because they would have no... But <laughs> but when we got to, like, the stealing one and the murder one, and then this one, if you knew for sure that no one was going to ever break the marriage vows again... Like if you just knew that for sure about your own spouse, the level of comfort that you just knew for sure, like you absolutely knew that would be such an amazing comfort. But it's amazing how God creates these rules for a culture. And if any culture actually followed them, 
I mean, it would be close to utopia. Yeah. Mm. Just those 10. It was anyway. Yeah. Um, but you're, and we just... can't, e- and we can't even do 10 of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. 10 is too many. Yep. Oh, well, and even the improvement of, of social interactions and community, because mm. you have no <coughs> doubt that other people yep. are under the same assumption of like, this is never an option because mm-hmm. I feel like when you're in a close community, when you know people well enough to know where everyone stands on it, that's one thing. But even in like a large community, I feel like there's so much unfaithfulness and so much like people who are trying to blur the lines of sexuality that it, it inhibits community because you're constantly having to put up walls for other people's potential sin. I don't know. Gosh, that even strikes me. You know, there's some famous people who have open marriages that we've talked about. Yeah. And, and just the thought, of continually having to compete for my wife's attention and affection. Oh gosh, yeah. With other men just sounds exhausting. Like the whole, yeah. you know, I and I and I'm I date my wife pretty effectively. I mean, I pursue her pretty effectively. Get just competing for what little energy as she has left at the end of the day is already you know hard enough after 30 yeah. years of marriage, five kids and but but the thought of then there being another man or two in there that I have to somehow also compete for those scraps of energy like I just that would be no fun mm-hmm. no freedom like it would be like dating in middle school again except worse yeah, yeah. a thousand ways so yeah the whole whole idea is she knows that I am for her and that I choose her and I'm faithful to her and forsaking all others and I know the same for her and the amount of freedom that gives is phenomenal mm-hmm. we've fact, even sorry <clears throat> go ahead no no you're good good oh I was saying we um Mason and I have even talked about that recently of just, you know, even going through pregnancy, which a lot of couples go through, but it's just, it's really comforting and reassuring. And even a picture of the gospel to me of like, there's a lot going on when you're pregnant (laughs) and a lot of change. And yet even that assurance of you're my person, I choose you, you're, is, is just so comforting. It's like, I already, you know, you're already experiencing a lot of change as a female when you're pregnant and having that type of spouse of, of that comfort and that level of, of security is just, I feel like I understand and have felt loved even more than ever before. Yeah. Um, and just a picture of the gospel, like never before, because, because of that picture of the security of it. But, and so then the reverse of that, you could oh, I can't almost imagine. say just the yeah, the pain that you would feel yeah. if that if that relationship was broken. Right, right. Yeah. Anyway, that's just a side <laughs> yeah. thought. What from were a you personal? I'm just I'm just note. laughing because as always, uh-huh. um, we we have a new statistic that kind of throws it off a little bit, cohabitating okay. couples. But um, you know, one of my favorites we talk about because people talk about oh, you get married and then you stop having sex. Like that that's the kind of the world that you're yeah. told that <laughs> is that people have sex and then they get married and they stop. And, uh, and I don't know if you've ever heard me talk about this, but I'll talk about the whole James Bond thing yeah. where James, you know, you talked about it with our students. A okay. Lot, with our students, yeah. like, like the, the James Bond, who's supposed to be this, you know, he can get any woman into bed he wants. We, we, and usually in a two week time period in a movie, he has sex like twice. Uh-huh. And, uh, which is about half the average for married couples. And so like, it's, it's not, I mean, and he's supposed to be like the, right. the, the studs, man, right. He, says he can have anyone he wants. <laughs> And yet the average married couple has sex about as often as James Bond does. So it's like, it cracks me up. But I was looking up the numbers again. And of course, this is going to be the case. Couples who are living together but not married 
have sex more often than married couples do. Mm-hmm. But again, keep in mind that a lot of those people, that's their honeymoon phase. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That the first year or two of quote marriage, they're, they're married in every way except name. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that just like married couples typically have sex more the first couple of years of marriage before, you know, kids. And so, <laughs> um, but things like that start, you know, weighing you down. But the, uh, but it is still to this day, married couples have sex significantly more often than single people do. The average for single people was, you know, in the 30s a year, and the average for married couples was between 60 and 100 a year on average, somewhere in there. And it's a huge range. But anyway, it just depends still, on who but, you but, count. But it takes out the argument that, okay, well, the marriage is yeah. the death of, yeah, it, of it, sex. No, in yeah. fact, married couples, in fact, on there was a time when the average was four times. And my guess is it's because cohabitating couples don't, if, if cohabitating couples are added in, it, then it would be about four times as often. Well, and it than goes, married couples would. It goes back to your point of trying to, <laughs> when you're trying to keep someone, like how much of that is intimacy and how much of that is like you feel like you're still competing to keep right. them. You know? Yeah, that's uh, right. Interesting. But so it's anyway. it's just a fascinating <laughs> picture. But God, again, God's format for setting this up is is functional. It is effective. It isn't outdated. It's not anti-feminine. It's not any of the things that it gets called nowadays. People typically are happier. That was some of the fascinating things I've seen recently, and I don't know if we'll be able to get to those at some point, but because I'd love to do the research. But people are have have there's been a <laughs> significant drop off in personal happiness mm. in the last fifty years or so, which is just mind boggling when you consider all the technological advances and all yeah. the alleged philosophical advances that we've had. You know the, the all these different freedom things, and and yet it doesn't seem to be across the board creating more satisfaction in life for people. Mm. And it just makes me wonder, of course, as a Christian, is, is does there come a point at which, you know, we, you're, you've now left the guy, the guy who knows what makes us happy and satisfied created some guidelines. And at some point when you toss them, there may be an immediate sense of like, woo, you know? Yeah. But, it, but very quick, because God's standards seem to be the long, he plays the long-term game on so many things. And so the question isn't, is it more fun as a 22-year-old to be married or to be, you know, gaming the system? And by the way, I don't, I don't know that that's, that, that is a, that's probably nearer the center, nearer half and half for people. But, it, but how many of those 22-year-olds are asking, when I'm 84, right. where will I get more satisfaction? Mm-hmm. Is it going to be trying to pick up chicks at the bar? I, I doubt it. Yeah. Um, and so, um, or is it going to be, I've now spent the last 60 years of my life with somebody who knows every aspect of who I am and who's experienced life with me. Mm-hmm. And it sure seems to me like God is invested in this intimate thing. And mm. think of how important, therefore, adultery is or how much damage mm-hmm. it, it could be when, if that's the goal, is to create a relationship with somebody that models the gospel and that models faith and that models all the things that God wants people to see for our children, for our next generation, for our friends, and why infidelity is so hard to recover from it. Mm. And, and I help people all the time recover from infidelity in their marriages. It, it certainly can be done. And some people's marriages are better than ever when they start the new marriage, the post-unfaithful marriage. Mm. It can be it's certainly done all the time. And there's some great testimonies for that. But man, how much better to just create a great marriage that doesn't involve this? And so, like once again, I don't know how this stands compared to the the world's uh, definition you, of yeah. infidelity. I mean, of um, immorality. But I mean, I'm looking at scriptures. There's, I mean, there's dozens and dozens. Like I thought there yeah, were. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I've ever <clears throat> heard anyone make the case that scripture doesn't 
call for faithfulness in marriage. No, that's not one that does. seems to be right, 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 right. But the most popular, <laughs> like what Hebrews thirteen four maybe. Mm-hmm. And the marriage bed undefiled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that, by the way, divides out. God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Oh, interesting. So there's two different words there. It's going to be the the markeo or whatever it is that's adulterous and porneo for sexually immoral. And they overlap, but there is a special emphasis on adultery, I think. Mm-hmm. But all through, you even see you even see Jesus teaching about marriage. I mean, about marriage and divorce as being like, it seems like Jesus is saying that adultery or sexual morality is the only way to break the marriage covenant. Hmm. <laughs> that was great. That. I just hit that. He just hit with it with his foot. foot. <laughs> That's right. Sorry. The danger sitting that way. Oh no, you got to keep that in. That's worthwhile. That'll be good for people. Hey, let's talk about adultery. But um ching. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> oh, too good. Um sorry. To what, uh, sorry repeat to, the sentence you just said. Sorry. <laughs> I'm <distracted>. so sorry. <laughs> um uh, no, I think that's that a Jesus. You were well, Jesus it. talks about that. You know, that what ends seems to end a marriage covenant is not just a piece of paper. It's, oh, yeah. It is the, uh, that he talks about how if you divorce someone for any reason other than sexual morality, then if you remarry, you will then, that I assume he means the first encounter with that person sexually will be adultery. Mm-hmm. Because the fact that you have a piece of paper does not, is not actually divorce you. Yeah. It is the sexual morality that divorces you. Yeah. And I think that teaching them would imply after that first time, now the, now the marriage is over. It's over. Um, and so it's, it's complex, but I think, I think that's a possibility that that's the way I understand it is God does not see the covenant broken until there's sexual morality. And, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> so that's a, even in marriage, the first time you, if, if even if you, Divorce for some reason other than sexual morality, therefore the the covenant is not actually broken yet. In his eyes, you're still married. In his eyes, until, right. Yeah. That's my understanding. But again, notice, not to unpack that whole conversation, that's a whole separate conversation, yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. but to notice that once again, the significance of adultery that Jesus is putting, that the significance of the sacred nature of marriage mm-hmm. and the sacred nature of sex as we've talked about over and over again, that it is sacred and it actually creates and destroys bonds. It's that powerful. Mm-hmm. It creates and destroys covenants. But wow. if people want to look up others, um, and Chris Sherrod talked last time about even lustful intent, uh-huh. that, that God protects even marriage from this uh, and, and sexuality from this in our minds. Um, but <clears throat> both in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, um, those, those also show, let's say you mentioned Leviticus 20, Deuteronomy 22, both talk about, uh, execution mm-hmm. for adultery. Um, the first Corinthians six passage lists it, um, probably you see you reference the Hebrews 13. I'm seeing if there's any others that jump out at me as potentially significant. Um, the Proverbs reference it regularly. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. Um, telling, you know, man telling his son, don't do this, stay out of this. And even go into a lot of the practices that lead to mm-hmm. avoiding it. Yeah. Um, but it all th- it is all through Scripture. This is an important thing, especially for Christians, Bible students, that, that adultery is used as an example of what it looks like when we disobey God. Mm. It's, it's, the anal- it's one of the common analogies that God uses in Scripture for his, that when His people <clears throat> disobey Him... 
that's like committing adultery because there's a covenant between us mm-hmm. that we've now broken. And the good news is he continues to pursue us, apparently, even in that, at least up to a point. But, but that's a good so reminder the, because often we might consider something like adultery one of those quote-unquote big sins, but then we don't mm-hmm. view our sin as as if we're committing adultery against God. Yeah. That's it's a good thing to consider heavy. too. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Okay. I think, I think we've unpacked this one well. And if, if anyone's struggling with how to handle this and I, I, I'll tell you guys, I think what y'all mentioned at the beginning, um, I'll be fascinated if, if anyone listens to this and realizes that part of their deconstruction is coming from the poor example of parents who taught one thing, sometimes avidly and even abusively, mm-hmm and then committed adultery. Yeah. Um, because that would cause you to, I mean, if you look at the Ephesians 5, the way a man and a woman love each other in marriage is meant to be this parable, is meant to be this picture of God's love for his people. And as a child, when your parents are terrible at it, much less just straight unfaithful, um, man, that's going to make you go, man, this whole Christianity thing sort of seems like a joke. Mm-hmm they're treating marriage as a joke. They're treating their love for each other as a joke. And when you're a child, when your parents don't take their own relationship seriously, man, that can really undermine confidence in anything. Yeah. yeah. Or if they're seeing one of their parents have to act a certain way or do certain things to, to keep their, or quote unquote, mm. keep their spouse faithful, like that would affect your view of God <laughs> yeah. of yeah. like, well, I have to, then behavior modification is how I keep God's love. Oh my goodness. And Great point. So that's a lot of layers. Yeah, but there's a lot there. Anyway, but okay. I think we can see why God has forbidden adultery, why he wants to protect marriage from that, why it's, it may kind of be in some weird way in opposition and uh, immoral by today's standards. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I do think it's better. Mm-hmm. I think it's a better option. And I, I, I weirdly think most people know that. Yeah, I agree. I think there's something in us that knows this is, this is that. So anyway... This, yeah. was a, this is our first one. And we got to unpack other sexual sins, which are probably a little more controversial, but I don't know, maybe not. We'll see how we, some kind of feedback we get on this. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructed Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up, trust God, search for answers.